Section thirty of the Ego and His Own. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Ego and His Own by Max Stirner. My Intercourse, Part Seven. If we assume that as order belongs to the essence of the state so subordination too is founded in its nature then we see that the subordinates or those who have received preferment disproportionately overcharge and overreach those who are put in the lower ranks but the latter take part first from the socialist standpoint but certainly with egoistic consciousness later of which we will therefore at once give their speech some colouring for the question by what then is your property secure you creatures of preferment and give themselves the answer by our reframing from interference and so by our protection and what do you give us for it kicks and disdain you give to the common people holy supervision and a catechism with the chief sentence respect what is not yours what belongs to others respect others and especially your superiors but we reply if you want our respect buy it for a price agreeable to us we will leave you your property if you give a due equivalent for this leaving really what equivalent does the general in time of peace give for the many thousands of his yearly income another for the sheer hundred thousands and millions yearly what equivalent do you give for our chewing potatoes and looking calmly on while you swallow oysters only by the oysters of us as dear as we have to buy the potatoes of you then you may go on eating them or do you suppose that oysters do not belong to us as much as to you you will make an outcry over violence if we reach out our hands and help consume them and you are right without violence we do not get them as you no less have them by doing violence to us but take the oysters and have done with it and let us consider our nearer property labour for the other is only possession we distress ourselves twelve hours in the sweat of our face and you offer us the frugation for it then take the like for your labour too are you not willing you fancy that our labour is richly repaid with that wage while yours on the other hand is worth a wage of many thousands but if you did not rate yours so high and gave us a better chance to realize value from ours then we might as well if the case demanded it bring to pass still more important things than you do for the many thousand fellows and if you got only such wages as we you would soon grow more industrious in order to receive more but if you render any service that seems to us worth ten and a hundred times more than our own labour 
why then you shall get a hundred times more for it too we on the other hand think also to produce for you things for which you will requite as more highly than with the ordinary day's wages we shall be willing to get along with each other all right if only we have first agreed on this that neither any longer needs to present anything to the other then we may perhaps actually go so far as to pay even the cripples and sick and old an appropriate price for not parting from us by hunger and want for if we want them to live it is fitting also that we purchase the fulfilment of our will i say purchase and therefore do not mean a wretched arms for their life is the property even of those who cannot work if we no matter for what reason want them not to withdraw this life from us we can mean to bring this to pass only by purchase nay we shall perhaps maybe because we like to have friendly faces about us even want a life of comfort for them in short we want nothing presented by you but neither will we present you with anything for centuries we have handed arms to you from good-hearted stupidity have doled out the might of the poor and given to the masters the things that are not the masters now just open your wallet for henceforth our ware rises in price quite enormously we do not want to take from you anything anything at all only you are to pay better for what you want to have what then have you i have an estate of a thousand acres and i am your ploughman and will henceforth attend to your fields only for one fellow a day wages then i'll take another you won't find any for we ploughmen are no longer doing otherwise and if one puts in appearance who takes less then let him beware of us there is the housemaid she too is now demanding as much and you will no longer find one below this price why then is it all over with me not so fast you will doubtless take in as much as we and if it should not be so we will take off so much that you shall have weather with to live like us but i am accustomed to live better we have nothing against that but it is not our lookout if you can clear more go ahead are we to hire out under rates that you may have a good living the rich man always puts off the poor with the words what does your want concern me see to it how you make your way through the world that is your affair not mine well let us let it be our affair then and let us not let the means that we have to realize value from ourselves to be pilfered from us by the rich but you uncultured people really do not need so much well we are taking somewhat more in order 
that for it we may procure the culture that we perhaps need. But if you thus bring down the rich, who is there to support the arts and sciences hereafter? Oh, well, we must make it up by numbers. We club together. That gives a nice little sum. Besides, you rich men now buy only the most tasteless books and the most lamentous perdonas, or a pair of lively dancers' legs. Oh, ill-starred equality! No, my good old sir, nothing of equality. We only want to count for what we are worth, and if you are worth more, you shall count for more right along. We only want to be worth our price, and think to show ourselves worth the price that you will pay. Is the state likely to be able to awaken so secure a temper, and so forceful a self-consciousness in the menial? Can it make man feel himself? Nay, may it even do so much as set this goal for itself? Can it want the individual to recognize his value, and realize this value from himself? Let us keep the parts of the double question separate, and see first whether the state can bring about such a thing, as the unanimity of the plowman is required. Only this unanimity can bring it to pass, and a state law would be evaded in a thousand ways by competition and in secret. But can the state bear with it? The state cannot possibly bear with people suffering coercion from another than it. It could not, therefore, admit the self-help of the unanimous cowmen against those who want to engage for lower wages. Suppose, however, that the state made the law, and all the ploughmen were in accord with it. Could the state bear with it then? In the isolated case, yes. But the isolated case is more than that. It is a case of principle. The question therein is of the whole range of the ego's self-realization of value from himself, and therefore also of his self-consciousness against the state. So far the communists keep company, but as self-realization of value from self necessarily directs itself against the state, so it does against society too, and therewith reaches out beyond the commune and the communistic out of egoism. Communism makes the maximum of the commonality that every one is a possessor, proprietor, into an irrefragable truth, into a reality, since the anxiety without obtaining now ceases and every one has from the start what he requires. In his labour force he has his competence, and if he makes no use of it, that is his fault. The grasping and hounding is at an end, and no competition is left, as so often now, without fruit, because with every stroke of labour an adequate supply of the needful is brought into the house, now, for the first time, one is a real possessor, because what one has in his labour force can no longer escape from him 
as it was continually threatening to do under the system of competition. One is a carefree and assured possessor, and one is this precisely by seeking his competence, no longer in aware, but in his own labour, his competence for labour, and therefore by being a ragamuffin, a man of only ideal wealth. I, however, cannot content myself with the little that I scrape up by my competence for labour, because my competence does not consist merely in my labour. By labour I can perform the official functions of a president, a minister, etc. These offices demand only a general culture, to wit such a culture as is generally attainable, for general culture is not merely that which every one has attained, but broadly that which every one can attain, and therefore every special culture, e.g. medical, military, theological, of which no cultivated man believes that they surpass his powers, or broadly only a skill possible to all. But even if these offices may best in every one, yet it is only the individual's unique force, peculiar to him alone, that gives them, so to speak, life and significance. That he does not manage his office like an ordinary man, but puts in the competence of his uniqueness. This he is not yet paid for, when he is paid only in general as an official or a minister. If he has done it so as to earn your thanks, and you wish to retain this thankworthy force of the unique one, you must not pay him like a mere man who performed only what was human, but as one who accomplishes what is unique. Do the like with your labour. Do. There cannot be a general scheduled price fixed for my uniqueness as there can for what I do as man, only for the latter can a scheduled price be set. Go right on then, setting up a general appraisal for human labours, but do not deprive your uniqueness of its desert. Human or general needs can be satisfied through society, for satisfaction of unique needs you must do some seeking a friend and a friendly service or even an individual's service society cannot procure you and yet you will every moment be in need of such a service and on the slightest occasions require somebody who is helpful to you therefore do not rely on society but see to it that you have the wherewithal to purchase the fulfilment of your wishes whether money is to be retained among egoists to the old stamp an inherited possession adheres if you no longer let yourselves be paid with it it is ruined if you do nothing for this money it loses all power cancel the inheritance and you have broken off the executor's court seal for now everything is an inheritance, whether it be already inherited or awaits its heir. 
if it is yours wherefore do you let it be sealed up from you why do you respect the seal but why should you not create a new money do you then annihilate the where in taking from it the hereditary stamp now money is a where and an essential means of competence for it protects against the ossification of resources keeps them in flux and brings to pass their exchange if you know a better medium of exchange go ahead yet it will be a money again it is not the money that does you damage but your incompetence to take it let your competence take effect collect yourselves and there will be no lack of money of your money the money of your stamp but working i do not call letting your competence take effect those who are only looking for work and willing to work hard are preparing for their own selves the infallible upshot to be out of work good and bad luck depend on money it is a power in the bourgeois period for this reason that it is only rude on all hands like a girl indissolubly wedded by nobody all the romance and chivalry of wooing for a dear object come to life again in competition money an object of longing is carried off by the bold knights of industry he who has luck takes home the bride the ragamuffin has luck he takes her into his household society and destroys the virgin in his house she is no longer bride but wife and with her virginity her family name is also lost as housewife the maiden money is called labour for labour is her husband's name she is a possession of her husband's to bring this figure to an end the child of labour and money is again a girl an unwedded one and therefore money but with the certain descent from labour her father the form of the face the effigy bears another stamp finally as regards competition once more it has a continued existence by this very means that all do not attend to their affair and come to an understanding with each other about it bread e g is a need of all the inhabitants of the city therefore they might easily agree on setting up a public bakery instead of this they leave the furnishing of the needful to the competing bakers just so meat to the butchers wine to wine dealers etc abolishing competition is not equivalent to favouring the guild the difference is this in the guild baking etc is the affair of the guild brothers in competition the affair of chance competitors in the union of those who require baked goods and therefore my affair yours the affair of neither the guildic nor the concessionary baker but the affair of the united if i do not trouble myself about my affair 
I must be content with what it pleases others to vouchsafe me. To have bread is my affair, my wish and desire, and yet people leave that to the bakers and hope at most to obtain through their wrangling, their getting ahead of each other, their rivalry, in short, their competition, an advantage which one could not count on in the case of the Guild Brothers, who were lodged entirely and alone in the proprietorship of the Bacon franchise. What everyone requires, everyone should also take a hand in procuring and producing. It is his affair, his property, not the property of the gildic or concessionary master. Let us look back once more. The world belongs to the children of this world, the children of men. It is no longer God's world, but man's. As much every man can procure of it, let him call his, only the true man, the state, human society, or mankind, will look to it that each shall make nothing else his own than what he appropriates as man, i.e. in human fashion. Unhuman appropriation is that which is not consented to by man, i.e. it is a criminal appropriation, as the human vice versa is a rightful one, one acquired in the way of law. So they talk since revolution, but my property is not a thing, since this has an existence independent of me, only my might is my own. Not this tree, but my might or control over it, is what is mine. Now, how is this might perversely expressed? They say I have a right to this tree, or it is my rightful property so i have earned it by might that the might must last in order that the tree may also be held or better that the might is not a thing existing of itself but has existence solely in the mighty ego in me the mighty is forgotten might like another of my qualities e g humanity majesty etc is exalted to something existing of itself, so that it still exists long after it has ceased to be my might. Thus transformed into a ghost, might is right. This eternalized might is not extinguished even with my death, but is transferred to bequeathed. Things now really belong not to me, but to right. On the other side, this is nothing but an hallucination of vision, for the individual's might becomes permanent and a right only by others joining their might with his. The delusion consists in their believing that they cannot withdraw their might. The same phenomenon over again, might is separated from me. I cannot take back the might that I gave to the possessor. One has granted power of attorney, has given away his power, has renounced coming to a better mind. The proprietor can give up his might and his right to a thing by giving the thing away, squandering it, etc. 
and we should not be able likewise to let go the might that we lend to him the rightful man the just desires to call nothing his own that he does not have rightly or have the right to and therefore only legitimate property now who is to be judge and adjudge his right to him at last surely man who imparts to him the rights of man then he can say in an indefinitely broader sense than terence humani nihil ami alenium puto e.g the human is my property however he may go about it so long as he occupies this standpoint he cannot get clear of a judge and in our time the multifarious judges that had been selected have set themselves against each other in two persons at deadly enmity to wit in god and man the one party appeal to divine right the other to human right or the rights of man so much is clear that in neither case does the individual do the entitling himself just pick me out an action to-day that would not be a violation of right every moment the rights of man are trampled underfoot by one side while their opponents cannot open their mouth without uttering a blasphemy against divine right give an alms you mock at a right of man because the relation of beggar and benefactor is an inhuman relation utter a doubt you sin against a divine right eat dry bread with contentment you violate the right of man by your equanimity eat it with discontent you revile divine right by your repining there is not one among you who does not commit a crime at every moment your speeches are crimes and every hindrance to your freedom of speech is no less a crime ye are criminals altogether yet you are so only in that you all stand on the ground of right are ye in that you do not even know and understand how to value the fact that you are criminals inviolable or sacred property has grown on this very ground it is a judicial concept a dog sees the bone in another's power and stands off only if it feels itself too weak but man respects the other's right to his bone the latter action therefore ranks as human the former as brutal or egoistic and as here so in general it is called human when one sees in everything something spiritual here right i e makes everything a ghost and takes his attitude toward it as toward a ghost which one can indeed scare away at its appearance but cannot kill it is human to look at what is individual not as individual but as a generality in nature as such i no longer respect anything but i know myself to be entitled to everything against it in the tree in that garden on the other hand i must respect alienness they say in one-sided fashion property i must keep my hand off it this comes to an end 
only when i can indeed leave that tree to another as i leave my stick etc to another but do not in advance regard it as alien to me i e sacred rather i make to myself no crime of felling it if i will and it remains my property however long as i resign it to others it is and remains mine in the banker's fortune i as little see everything alien as napoleon did in the territories of kings we have no dread of conquering it and we look about us also for the means hereto we strip off from it therefore the spirit of alienness of which we had been afraid therefore it is necessary that i do not lay claim to anything more as man but to everything as i this i and accordingly to nothing human but to mine i e nothing that pertains to me as man but what i will and because i will it rightfully or legitimate property of another will be only that which you are content to recognize as yours if your content ceases then this property has lost legitimacy for you and you will laugh at absolute right to it besides the hitherto discussed property in the limited sense there is held up to our reverent heart another property against which we are far less to sin this property consists in spiritual goods in the sanctuary of the inner nature what a man beholds sacred no other is to guide at because untrue as it may be and zealously as one may in loving and modest wise seek to convince of the true sanctity the man who adheres to it and believes in it yet the sacred itself is always to be honoured in it the mistaken man does not believe in the sacred even though in an incorrect essence of it and so his belief in the sacred must at least be respected in ruder times than ours it was customary to demand a particular faith and devotion to a particular sacred essence and they did not take the gentlest way with those who believed otherwise since however freedom of belief spread itself more and more abroad the jealous god and soul lord gradually melted into a pretty general supreme being and it satisfied humane tolerance if only every one revered something sacred reduced to the most human expression this sacred essence is man himself and the human with the deceptive semblance as if the human were altogether our own and free from all the other worldliness with which the divine is tainted yes as if man were as much as i or you there may arise even the proud fancy that the talk is no longer of the sacred essence and that we now feel ourselves everywhere at home and no longer in the uncanny i e in the sacred and in sacred awe in the ecstasy over man discovered at last the egoistic cry of pain passes unheard and the spook that has become so intimate is taken for our true ego 
but humaneness is the saint's name see gothi and the humane is only the most clarified sanctity the egoist makes the reverse declaration for this precise reason because you hold something sacred i gibe at you and even if i respected everything in you your sanctuary is precisely what i should not respect with these opposed views there must also be assumed a contradictory relation to spiritual goods the egoist insults them the religious man i e every one who puts his essence above himself must constantly protect them but what kind of spiritual goods are to be protected and what left unprotected depends entirely on the concept that one forms of the supreme being and he who fears god e g has more to shelter than he the liberal who fears man in spiritual goods we are in distinction from the sensuous injured in a spiritual way and the sin against them consists in a direct desecration while again the sensuous a purloining or alienation takes place the goods themselves are robbed of value and of consecration not merely taken away the sacred is immediately compromised with the word irreverence or flippancy is designated everything that can be committed as crime against spiritual goods i e against everything that is sacred for us and scoffing reviling contempt doubt etc are only different shades of criminal flippancy that desecration can be practised in the most manifold way is here to be passed over and only that desecration is to be preferentially mentioned which threatens the sacred with danger through an unrestricted press end of section thirty Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England.